All right, good morning. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. In the Pew Bible in front of you, that's page 19. We're really starting a, we're starting a new chapter, literally, but sort of also figuratively in our story in Genesis. Uh, Isaac will sort of wane from here on out. So we're, we've been talking about the lives of a Isaac and Jacob. And so uh, the life of Isaac will sort of uh, diminish now. And, and, and here now, behold the rise of Jacob. Okay? So the story will now start centering around Jacob. And these, this is the story of the patriarchs. Abraham, the grandfather. Isaac, this, uh, the, the father. Jacob, the son. Um, and so now the mantle of everything is moving towards uh, Jacob. And so... Uh, what we see, what we'll see here today, is where the faith becomes personal to Jacob. Uh, there was a point in Abraham's life when God reached out to Abraham and said, "Abraham, I'm calling you." And then there was a point in Isaac, Isaac's life where Isaac uh, heard the, the the voice of the Lord, and the Lord saying, "I'm I'm calling you. I'm choosing you. Let's. Let, let, my focus is now on you." And today, Jacob's going to get that experience too. Uh, but let me just sort of uh, uh, start out with a, a bit of a question here. How's your experience with the Lord? My uh, grandfather, my grandfather was a pastor, and so he had five kids and nine grandkids. And when I became a Christian in my teens and started going to Bible college, there were a few times that I'd go to see him, and he, uh, he asked me, how's your experience with the Lord? And I always uh, liked the way he asked that question, uh, because it's really qualitative. It's qualitative. How is the the quality of your life with the Lord, the quality of your walk with the Lord. He could have asked very quantitative questions. He could have said, you still going to church? Because we can measure that. Uh, you reading your Bible every day? Because we can measure that. Are you praying every day? We can measure that. But that's not what he asked. Because he didn't want to know quantitatively how is your walk with the Lord. He didn't want to say quantitatively how well are you checking off the marks uh, of of what it means to be a good Christian. He didn't ask that. He asked it in a very personal and qualitative way, and it was, a, it was something that only I could, uh, I could answer. Anybody else could sort of look at my checklist or observe my behavior and see if I was checking off the things that a Christian ought to do. But he's asking me very personally, how's your experience with the Lord? And so I ask you today, how's your experience with the Lord? For some of you, you might say, good, good, never been better. It's incredible. Me and the Lord, we're, we're tight. We're like this. There's no problems at all. We're walking in wonderful, great harmony with each other. Couldn't ask for a better relationship with the Lord. And that, if that's your testimony, great. I'm glad. <coughs> it's probably a minority. Other people might say in here, well, life is hard. God is good. Life just keeps throwing one more thing after me, at me all the time. I, I, cannot, I do not know when it will stop. But God has been my rock throughout all of this. Everything else in my life is crumbling, except for the foundation. The roof is caving in. The walls are falling down. The foundation is firm, and I'm thankful to him for that. Others of you might say, it's rotten. It's just rotten. I want to follow the Lord, but he keeps pulling these lordship cards. He keeps asking me to do things. He keeps asking me to give up things. He's, he keeps asking me to stop my self-destructive behavior that I enjoy so much. 
And if he would just stop pulling the lordship card, everything would be fine. If he would just leave me alone and let me be myself, everything would be fine. But he doesn't do that. He's very intent on meeting you where you are in the mess that you're in, but he's also very intent on pulling you out of it and, and transforming you into the likeness of his son. And I've said it before, most of us, when we came to Christ, there was very much a sin or a problem that we wanted him to take care of. And after he took care of it, our, our, uh, our attitude was, I'm good now. And he said, no, you're not. There are actually other things that I'd like to work on in your life too. And that's when we all say, but I'm good now. I don't need anything else. And he says, I'm afraid you do. Or you come to him with this huge problem, and he says, actually, that's a small problem compared to this other thing you got. And this big thing over here created that problem. So let's work on this, and that will go away. And oh, do we rub against him. Oh, is there friction. Oh, is there a problem. And every passage of Scripture we read just... just twists the knife a little bit more. Every prayer we pray just seems to go nowhere because he wants to talk about something else. And so you might say, my experience with the Lord is awful. But actually, if that's what you're going through, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. You're in a much better place than you think. And then there might be other people in here that when I ask that, that question, how's your experience with the Lord, you look at yourself and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Do I have an experience with the Lord? What am I supposed to? Am I supposed to have an experience with the Lord? I didn't know I was supposed to have an experience with the Lord. I knew I was supposed to go to church. I knew I was supposed to do the things and be nice to people. Do I have an experience with the Lord? And my intention is not to make you cast doubt uh, on yourself or anything. Uh, but if the Holy Spirit does that, then okay. Anytime the Lord makes you uncomfortable, makes you cast doubt, it's for a good reason, okay? So how's your experience with the Lord? Well, in our passage today, a man is going to start having an experience with the Lord. All of his life, he's heard about his grandfather's experience with the Lord. He's heard about his father's experience with the Lord. And oh, what an experience it has been. But today, it's going to become different because it's going to stop being the faith of my grandfather. It's going to stop being the faith of my father. And it's going to start being... My faith, my experience with the Lord. This family is very special. They are the chosen family. Uh, the, the Jewish people are called the chosen people, but the Jewish people as a nation don't exist at this point. It's just a very small family that God ironically has said, your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. Well, he started out with an infertile couple who had one child. Well, ended up... The father ended up having several child, but the, the wife, who was, she was also the chosen vessel through all this, through, through which all this would happen, she had one child. Does that sound like sand of the she, seashore? And then we have uh, the second generation, and they doubled it and had two children. Does that sound like sand of the seashore? No, not yet, but it's going to get there. Abraham started out way over here in the land of Babylon, a pagan, if you will. And God called his whole family, father and uh, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and every one of them, to leave this place and go. 
and they traveled all the way up to here, and then they stopped. And they stopped for a good many years until Abraham himself heard, not just leave, don't just leave your people, don't just leave your nation, your land, the place where you, that you called home. Now, up here, I want you to take it a step further, and you're going to need to leave some of your family behind. And you're going to go down here, and I will show you where to go, and then I will show you a land, and that is the land I'm going to give you and your descendants that will be like the sand on the seashore. Only problem was he didn't have a child, but he did eventually have a child, and that's a great story. You should read that. And finally, Isaac, the son of Abraham, settled in this place called Beersheba. Beersheba. And today, they're going to backtrack a little bit, the family story, because Jacob, uh, and, and if, you've, if this is your first Sunday here, or you haven't been here in a while, we've been talking about this for a while, why Jacob had to leave. He was a low-down, lying, dirty, cheating scoundrel right inside the Lord's will, if you can imagine that, that tension there. The Lord's will happened by lying and cheating and stealing, but now because of the lying and cheating and stealing, he's got to get out of Dodge. And his mother and his father told him, you need to go somewhere, and you need to get, your next step in life is to get married. And you need to go, you need to go back up. Don't, don't marry these local girls. They're no good. They're no good for you. We're from away, and I don't want you to marry some girl from away, or from here. I want you to go back to away where we came from and marry a good girl from the family up here in Haran. Okay? Let's start reading. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And so here we have again our, our, our little map. Uh, Jacob started out down here in Beersheba. And Beersheba is where Isaac lived basically his entire life. Abraham traveled a lot. Jacob's going to travel a lot. Isaac doesn't travel very much. He basically stays in this place called Beersheba. It's in southern Israel, and they're staying right there by a well. The, this word Beersheba, the, the, the first part, beer, there, that means well, a water well. And Beersheba means, uh, Sheba means the oath. And so this is the place where I struck an oath with the people around me, and that is where the well is. So the well of the oath. And Isaac lives there uh, basically his entire life, it seems like, most of his life anyway. But Jacob, when he leaves, he's going all the way up to Haran. So we're talking a couple of days' walk, maybe two or three days' walk. He finally ends up at this place in the hill country up here, uh, maybe towards, uh, maybe kind of in the Samaria era, area right there. And he lays down and he goes to sleep. And then he has this dream, this dream. 
and this dream has been immortalized in art many, many times. Uh, this is maybe the best picture I found of it. It's not the oldest, it's not the most classical, it's not the most Renaissance type, but here you have uh, Jacob uh, resting on this stone, and you see the stairway, and there's a big light up here, okay, that represents God, represents the throne room of God, heaven, and you see the angels going up and down on it. Um, this is probably a, a better painting, except you can't see the angels very well, so I didn't like that. And then you hear, you have pencil sketch. This one over here is just a little bit weird. And then you have modern uh, bronze art. This is at a, a, a Christian university in, in Texas. But this is such a significant event that, that, you know, all the significant events in the Bible, that's what you paint about. That's what you paint about. And this here really is this sort of the beginning of the calling of Jacob. And so, and his name will eventually in a few chapters be named, be changed to Israel. And so the whole nation gets their namesake from this guy right here. And today what we're really looking at is sort of his conversion experience. And it's not really a whole conversion from a different religion to this other religion because he has heard of God and believed in God his entire life. But today, in this dream, in this place, in Bethel, this is where, this is where it becomes real and very personal to him. And a lot of people in church are exactly that way. They've heard of God their entire life. It's a family heritage. It's not like they've ever had some other kind of religion in their family. Everybody they know from as far back as they can remember was Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Congregational or whatever they were. My grandparents, they had this faith. They were firm believers. They went to church every single Sunday. And then my parents, they were uh, part of that heritage. They were firm believers. They went to church every single Easter and Christmas. That was sort of what it was like in my family maybe your family too. And then it came down to me and my generation. And when it comes down to the next generation, that is the sort of, it's always the new critical point. Wherever you are in your life, uh, if you're a teenager or if you're in your 20s or 30s or whatever it is, if there is spiritual heritage above you on the family tree, and now here it is you, you've got a choice to make. There's a question uh, laid out in front of you. There are two paths perhaps, you know, to be poetic about it, laid out in front of you. God is the God of your grandfather, your grandmother, the very faithful people in your life that you knew always followed the Lord. Your God is the God of your parents, whom they firmly believe in. And now the question always is, will God be your God as well? Do you hear the call of God on your life to say, you know what I'm going to do? Maybe I'll live a little differently from my parents in this way. Or I'll, I'll drive a different kind of car. They're, they, you know, he's a Chevy man. I'm going to buy a Ford, okay, my, da my dad. But, or, or, or I'm not going to dress this way or I'm not going to eat this way. But how am I going to worship? What are going to be the core values? How is my walk with Jesus going to be? Is it going to be the same or are you going to completely walk away from that part too? Because each generation wants to make itself distinct. We don't want to be exactly the same as our parents. There's some little rebellion that's in all of us. You don't want to, no matter how old you are, you don't want to be just like your parents were. But some things need to remain the same. Some things need to remain the same. And so I ask you, uh, will you be like Jacob? Will you grasp onto this call as well? Because it's a big call. It's a big call. Uh, in your family, in your family's history, Think of your family as, as like Abraham's family here. There's a heritage and there's a blessing. And remember, the family, with each generation, if you have children, uh, it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so whatever decision you make can affect many, many people down the line. Am I going to follow the Lord or am I not going to follow the Lord? Am I going to take the same path? Am I going to 
remain in that heritage? Am I going to grasp on to that foundational principle for our family's entire life? Or am I going to go a completely different way and provide no foundation for any generation that comes after me? Okay? Um, and it's important, especially for this family. More important for this family than it probably was for your family, except that uh, how can anything be important to one, person, one family and not my family? Because we're talking about souls of people here. Souls of people I know. Souls of people I'm related to. Souls of people I care about. Uh, but in the history of salvation, it's very important that Jacob grasp onto this. Grasp onto this calling. Grasp onto this heritage. Grasp onto the plan of God. Because eventually, the Savior of the world is going to come from, from Jacob. And God has this plan. Okay? And let me, let, me, let me show you with you a little bit about this plan. God's calling a family, and here a man, to be uh, sort of this conduit, the conduit. And the stairway to heaven thing, it's also a picture of the conduit. You see, heaven and earth are estranged from each other because of sin. Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, you know, the, the God would come walk in the garden with them every day and, and have this very strong relationship with them, very free, very open relationship. And then when they ate the apple, it's not just eating an apple. Apples are good for you. And it's not just disobedience. Disobedience is bad, but it's a disobedience that broke the bond between heaven and earth. And now all the people of the earth from Adam to Abraham have looked at the stars and said, God's up there and there's absolutely no way I can get to him. There are mysteries up there. There are questions I have and there's absolutely no, I have absolutely no access to them. And Jacob has this dream where God completely changes his theology and says, no, Jacob, there is a way. There is an access. I'm it. I'm the access. I'm creating this stairway. And guess what? For the entire rest of the world, your family is now the conduit. And I'm going to make your family huge because I want the conduit to be huge. In fact, I'm going to take not just your family, I'm going to turn your family into a nation of people. And I'm going to take that nation and I'm going to put it right in the middle of the earth. All right. Um, at the at this time, at this time in world history, there were especially and, and just count the Far East out, okay? Uh, but in the Middle East at this time, Israel uh, will become the center of it all. And not that they'll become the biggest and most powerful of it all. There are two great superpowers. There's Egypt, south of Israel, and there's Babylon, sort of north and east of Israel, and all the commerce in the world, all the education in the world, everything goes between Egypt and Babylon. And what's right there between Egypt and Babylon is Israel. And so, no matter where you're going, there are two great cultures, Egypt and Babylon. And if you're leaving Egypt, uh, unless you're going to Libya, and people don't go that way, you're, you're going to go to Babylon, you're going to go to Turkey, you're going to go um, to what's Iraq now. When you come out of Egypt, pass through this place. Because if you come out and go this way, it's all desert. You're going to die. So you might as well hug the Mediterranean coast and go right through the land of, of Israel. There was a, a, a pathway there, a road there that they called the King's Highway because everybody traveled that. No matter what you've got, if you're, if you're in Babylon and you want to sell to the big market outside of Babylon, where is it? It's Egypt. So you sell to Egypt and Egypt sells to you. All the economy and all the scholars, all the learning, everything passes right through here. God put Israel right in the middle of it all so that everybody in the world would have to pass through 
Jacob's land, Jacob's family, and learn a little bit about Jacob's God. Not only that, in the middle of this land, he was going to put a city. And oh, what a city it was going to be. A city that bears God's name, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the Salem there is the Shalom. The great God of peace is putting himself right in the middle of the world, right in the middle of this city, so that everybody that's doing any kind of commerce from Egypt to Babylon is going to pass through and they're going to say, you know what, I like Memphis. You know what, I like Ur. But this Jerusalem place, boy, is there something there. Boy, is there a peace there. Boy, is there an amazing God there. And right in the middle of that amazing city, God will put the temple that bears his name. And his intention is that everybody in the world from between these two great superpowers will pass through and say, now that's a temple. Now that's a temple. That's an incredible place. Look at all the, the sacrifice that they're doing. Look at all the gold. Look at all the everything. Let's go there and worship. And outside of this temple, there is this court that Jesus would later call the house of prayer for all nations. All nations are supposed to come here and get to know me. Get to know me. And Jacob, it's your family that I've chosen to do all of this through. It's a high calling, isn't it? Jacob, are you going to be a part of that or not? He says, yes. And I say to you today, God's got, still got this calling. And we don't have a, a, a particular nation. The whole world is where Christians can live. We don't have a particular city. Uh, Christians can live in any city. And in any city, there ought to be a place and there ought to be a people where all the people around them that are non-believers, that are, that are not part of this heritage, that don't have this kind of hope that, that we have, the salvation and the knowledge of God that we have, ought to be looking at the people of God and saying, boy, those people got it going on. What, what's different about them? What's different about the things they believe? What's different about the way that they live that makes them so blessed? Why do they have so much more hope than the rest of us? And if any of us will grab onto that calling of God and understand who he is, guess what? We can start being also that conduit of blessing. We can become a rung on that ladder up and down to heaven. Will you be part of that kind uh, of calling? Will you be a place where the name of God can be uh, perfectly seen? Now, when Moses wrote this for the people, um, there's a very important thing that... Ah, let me just read this. The name of God appears in this passage. And this is a, a little aside, but it's something that I think is very important for you to know. Look at your passage again. And I want you to see uh, how the word Lord is written. The word Lord is written in this passage in all caps. Do you see it? Especially look at um, verse, say, 12, 13. Verse 13. At the top of the stairway was the Lord. The Lord. And the Lord is written in all caps. Now, why in the world would they write the, the word Lord in all caps? Uh, and this is just sort of an aside, but I think it's important for us to know. Anytime in the Old Testament, this only happens in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, Lord, written with capital L-O-R-D, that word in Hebrew is Adonai. 
is Adonai. And it means Lord. It means Master. It's the standard meaning of Lord. Whenever you think of the word Lord, whatever Lord means, that's what Adonai means. That is the Lord. But every once in a while, you'll be running through the, the Bible and you'll see Lord written in all caps. And that's different. And that's different. Okay? And I'll tell you why here in a moment. When it's Lord in all caps, it is the covenant name of God. And it's what we transliterated as Jehovah. But it's Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H is somehow, sometimes how people will write it. That is the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. When, Moses, when God said to Moses, I want you to go get my people and bring them out of Israel. And he says, uh, if I tell them the God of your ancestors has, has come to you, they'll say, which God is that? And what is your name? I need, to, I need to have a name to tell them. And he said, what did he say? He said, I am that I am. I am that I am. And that's a very strange, that's, that name is, is, is even just a concept. I am that I am. What does that even mean? Tell them I am has sent you. I am, I am. And in Chinese, it's a great, it's a great transliteration. It's, or tr translation. It's I am self-existent. I am eternally existence. I exist. I am the one who exists. Some, there's one Bible translation that says, I am the eternal one. The eternal one. And that's a great way to think of it, too. Who are you, God? What is your name? I'm the eternal one. And so uh, here, when Jacob sees all of this, when Moses writes it down, he says, Yahweh was at the top of it. I am that I am. That God that called me from the bush, that's the one. That's the one that Jacob saw at the top of the staircase. I am that I am. And that, that, that helps you when you read some, some places in the Old Testament. Because there are a few places in the Old Testament that the, there's a verse that's written kind of awkwardly. Have you ever read this verse in the Old Testament? The Lord, the Lord is his name. Is that kind of strange? The Lord, the Lord is his name. What it is is Adonai, Yahweh is his name. That's what it really is when you read that. Okay? So look in, the, look in the Old Testament. A lot of times when you're reading through something that says Lord, look at it. If it's in all caps, just put that name Yahweh in there. Put that name Yahweh in there and see if it, see if it helps bring something out. Let's read it this way. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood Yahweh. Oops, not the Yahweh, but Yahweh. There above it stood Yahweh. And he said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you the land that you're lying on. Okay? God, God himself reaching out to Jacob. And so um, let's keep reading. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely Yahweh is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, uh, though the city used to be called Luz. Beth, anytime you see Beth in the Old Testament, that is home, house. Something like that. And El means God. Beth El. This is the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow. How would you react? Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then Yahweh will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And then Jacob continued on his way uh, to the land of the eastern peoples. 
So Jacob made a vow. And uh, I've always kind of thought, and I've heard people preach this way, that Jacob's vow was a little bit naive. And it was a little bit of a bargain. Uh, because you remember, what, what kind of man is Jacob? Jacob is a bargainer. Okay? What's in this for me? Uh, and and uh, I'll be devoted to you, but I, I need, I, I, if you're devoted to me. Okay? You scratch my back, then I'll scratch yours. All right? So he says, um, if you'll be with me, if you'll make sure I don't starve, and if you'll make sure that I have all the clothes that I need, and if you'll bring me back to my father's household, because he didn't want to leave his father's household. He didn't want to go anywhere. But God, if you'll do all these things for me, then you'll be my God. Then you'll be my God. And I'll give you 10%. And I think the Lord just kind of says, for who you are right now, I'll take it. The fact is, uh, the Lord wants to do more than just feed him, more than just clothe him, more than just bring him back to his father's house. He's got a huge plan for Jacob and for Jacob's whole family. And he's got the same thing for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for you to be part of this great conduit of blessing from heaven to earth, if you'll be a part of it. But he doesn't just want a tenth. I'm sorry. God wants your whole heart. He wants you to give him everything. So for you today, what I would say is, God is calling you. And he's not calling you to a life of being lame. He's not calling you to a life of boredom and boring uh, boring plans. He's calling you to be part of His great plan for the church and for the world. A life spent serving the Lord, a life of giving up whatever you've got to give up to serve the Lord is a life well spent. A life spent helping people, loving people, worshiping people, getting to know Jesus, and that is the highest calling. Know Jesus, that is the highest calling of all people. Know him, follow him, get to know him, be blessed by him, learn who he is. That is the greatest blessing. Blessing, Just knowing who he is, that is the greatest blessing. Having all of that, uh, all of his pouring into your life. And what does the psalmist say? My cup runs over. If you will let Jesus fill up your life, your cup will run over, and that will splash onto other people around you, and it will be a blessing to them. And they'll say, Hey, how can I get some of that for me too? And it will be a place where you can stand and say, let me tell you about the God who called me. Let me tell you about the Lord that I'm following, Jesus of Nazareth. Will you get to know him? He has shaped history. He has shaped this family's history. He has shaped my family's history. He's going to be shaping everyone who comes after me that I can come into contact with. Will you be a part of everything that God is inviting you to be a part of. Will you say, you know what? Maybe it skipped a generation in my family. Maybe it was my great-grandparents who were so faithful. My grandparents were eh, so, so faithful. My parents, I, I don't even know if they've ever been to church. But me, I hear this call. And I want to follow the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. And I'll be a, an influence on everybody who comes after me, and maybe even some who came before me by doing so. I want to know the Lord. I want my family to know the Lord. Lord, help me know you. Help me introduce you to other people. That is your calling. And we as a church, our calling to be part in this is to be part of that, that great conduit, that pipeline of blessing from God. 
that pipeline of knowing, understanding, that knowledge of God that the world has forgotten, that we are not particularly born with. We are supposed to be part of that pipeline. And so, what is the highest calling in this church? What is the highest calling of the church in general? The mission of the church? Make disciples. Make people who know Jesus. Make people whose lives are shaped by Jesus. Make, uh, uh, make disciples who, uh, who don't just follow the Lord, but also teach others how to follow the Lord as well. Will, will you be a disciple? Will you follow the Lord like Jacob? Will you follow the Lord? Will you, follow, will you tell others to follow the Lord as well? Okay? That is the question. How's your experience with the Lord? If you don't have one, start having one. If your experience with the Lord has been good, great. Make sure that your cup is running over onto other people. Drench them with the blessings from God. If your, uh, if your experience with the Lord has been difficult, don't walk away. Keep, keep there. Stay there. Let it be difficult. Let it be difficult. It'll get better. There are phases. He'll give you a Sabbath even from the difficulty. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, get one. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have called out to us. We thank you, Lord, that you were not satisfied with heaven and earth being separated, that you made this stairway. The stairway is Jesus. Lord, help us. We thank you for descending the staircase, Jesus. Lord, help us to ascend the staircase on Jesus and get to heaven. Lord, give us everything that we need for life, for godliness, for service, for blessing to this world. Lord, help us to be a people who, once we have this calling, can pass it on to other people. Help us to speak of you often to our children, to friends, to our parents. Help us remind people that you are good. You are worth serving. You are worth surrendering whatever to you are worth giving 100% to. And Lord, we're going to go have fellowship meal now. Please bless our conversation around the table. Help us to get to know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.